Coming up on Please Bear With Me, we react to an epic homecoming victory over Oklahoma State. Kevin Barrera and I look at Baylor and expectations headed into Ames, and I count on the top five pass catchers of the decade. Please Bear With Me starts right now. What's up? Welcome into another edition of Please Bear With Me, your go-to podcast for all things Baylor football. My name is Scotty Swingler. It's great to be with you once again this week talking about the Baylor Bears and what an epic homecoming victory over Oklahoma State. I am so excited about what we saw from our Bears in that game. A great bounce back from the horrible loss in Morgantown the week prior. Very proud of our guys. We'll get to more of that in just a moment. I did want to go ahead and start this episode by inviting you to make sure you're following us on Twitter at bear underscore podcast, that you are following us on Facebook at please bear with me, and that you are subscribed to the podcast We'd love for you to keep listening. Make sure you're subscribed. If you have any recommendations for the podcast, I take those any time. So feel free to reach out to me via Twitter and give me some recommendations, things you'd like to hear. If you know anybody who would be a good guest on the podcast, feel free to let me know that as well. And I also wanted to let you know that I am officiating a wedding this weekend, but I am going to do my best to have an episode of Please Bear With Me, the show, on Friday night at 8 p.m. on Periscope and Facebook Live. I will tweet out if that changes, but I currently plan to do Please Bear With Me, the show, as normal, Friday night at 8 p.m., so make sure you tune in for that. I will be taking your questions as we look ahead to the matchup against Iowa State, and I will also be covering some of the keys to the game, some keys to the matchup there, and what I think we'll see from Baylor and Iowa State in more detail. So if you'd like to get in on that, 8 p.m., Friday night, Periscope, Facebook Live, please bear with me the show. Would love for you to join us in that way. So what a win against Oklahoma State, huh? Man, that is one of the best football games I've ever seen. I think if I'm counting down some of the best football games I've ever seen, Baylor definitely gets at least three spots on that list with Oklahoma, the RG3 win. You know, that would probably be the lowest of those three here. The 61-58 game, and then the 2004 double overtime win over Texas A&M where Sean Bell threw the game-winning pass to Dominic Ziegler. I was at that game. Those are probably my three most memorable Baylor games. And I think this game is right up there with it, man. What an emotional roller coaster of a game. Moments that I thought we were going to run away with it. Moments that I thought Oklahoma State was going to run away with it. And obviously the pride at the end is we were able to come back and make it happen. My biggest takeaway from this game is that Charlie Brewer has the magic and we shouldn't have ever doubted him after a poor performance at West Virginia. I know it was rough at West Virginia. He was obviously not right. He was obviously not right. I think he got that concussion a little bit earlier in the game than they realized. 
because those picks were just not characteristic, man. And so what he showed you against Oklahoma State is that he's electric and he brings an energy to that offense that nobody else can bring right now. I thought Jalen McClendon played okay. I mean, I heard Matt Rule say that the interception in the end zone wasn't his fault. I don't believe him. I've watched that play over and over and over, and it just looks to me like McClendon tried to force the ball into a place where it was going to get picked no matter what. It was a rough go for a guy that I really like because I like Jalen McClendon, but it was awesome to see Brewer back to form, really sparking the offense with his legs, with his arm, and then obviously Denzel Mims with the big catch to win the game. I thought it was appropriate that after Jalen Hurd and Denzel Mims had such a rough week against West Virginia that they emerged as the heroes against Oklahoma State. Jalen Hurd did not have a good game against West Virginia. I think he only totaled 30-some-odd yards on three catches. Denzel Mims even less than that, and Denzel Mims with a couple of really, really notable drops against West Virginia on plays that could have been big first downs to get Baylor going early. And so I thought it was really appropriate that Jalen Hurd led the team in receiving, had the big touchdown to get us within three, and a couple other big catches as well. And then Denzel Mims, obviously, with the game, winning touchdown grab, the epic jump ball grab. That's two of those kind of catches for him this season, and I'm sure we'll see more before he's done at Baylor. But what a game by those two. Our defense has really played well for three weeks straight now, and I mean that. I know West Virginia got ugly But they really kept us in that game for the first quarter and a half and then really just got gassed, man. Just got gassed in that second quarter as our offense could not stay on the field for more than three plays. And so I don't put that West Virginia, the high-scoring West Virginia game on our defense. I put that on our offense's inability to pick up a first down. So against Texas, West Virginia, and now Oklahoma State, I've really been impressed with our defense. And I know the defense has taken a lot of crap from Baylor fans, and we kind of think of the offense as our strong suit. But, man, I thought the defense played really well against Oklahoma State. Kept us in the game, kept us within striking distance, and then we were able to capitalize at the end. Great job by them, especially Clay Johnston. I know Clay Johnston has dealt with some nagging injuries this season. Clay Johnston has faced some criticism as our linebacking core has been considerably weak. But Clay Johnson had a heck of a game, obviously winning Big 12 Defensive Player of the Week. Really proud of him and really proud of that defense. And now I'd like to welcome in Bears Illustrated co-owner and contributor Kevin Barrera. He joins us via telephone to discuss the Bears. Kevin, let's start with this today. I think you were labeled as a hater, maybe preseason, because I thought I was a pessimist or a realist and I had Baylor preseason I had Baylor going for five wins this season and I think you had three if I remember correctly is that right actually I had them going four and seven four and seven okay all right so you you had us at four wins preseason then tell me how you're feeling about this team as of this week already at five wins with three crucial games to go what are your thoughts so far and what they've been able to accomplish this season and looking ahead uh yeah, so I was um kinda funny that you said I was labeled a hater. That's I haven't uh haven't heard that one before, but um no, I you know, early this season, early in the season I was I just didn't feel like um that they were going to improve um that much. 
um, just from everything that everything I'd read, you know, talking to people, um, you know, there's especially on the defensive side, there was a lot of question marks. So that's where I got my four and seven record. I just didn't think that it was a year that we were going to be able to go to a bowl game. But I thought that with the non-conference schedule where the, the Big 12 was, because uh, it's all the games are competitive, but it, it still feels like the Big 12 down this year. Uh, but I just didn't feel like we were going to be able to reach six wins yet. Uh, my threshold for rule was the third year uh, that we had to make a bowl game that year. But anyways, uh, you know, just starting this year, um, you know, the two wins, I didn't think we looked particularly great um, in those first two wins. And then you go you go to the Duke game, uh, they come in with, you know, all the injuries and stuff, and we just did not look good that game at all. Um, and so that kind of set it back. But, you know, they've they've played well outside of the West Virginia game, which I don't really – the West Virginia game doesn't do much for me because I just felt like that was one of those games, you know, we came off of a hard, you know, hard-fought loss to Texas. Uh, Iowa State got – Iowa State beat uh, and pretty handily uh, in Ames, which is not – that's surprising because Ames is just a crazy place to play, and I think Matt Campbell's doing a great job over there. Um, but, you know, so I kind of gave them a pass on that game. Uh, and then when they come out yes or last week against Oklahoma State, um, you know, I just saw them, you know, fight really hard, uh, did a lot of good things on offense uh, and, and on defense, too. Um, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, you know, I think five wins is, is great. Um, you know, they've been improving. Aside from the West Virginia game, they've been improving. Uh, defense is not where it needs to be, but, you know, they've shown flashes. Um, Charlie Brewer is a freaking gamer. Um, I love the way he plays. I was a little confused with, you know, how they handled him against Oklahoma State, but I, I guess it kind of makes sense. They didn't want to use him if they didn't have to, but, you know, when you're down – you know, going into the fourth quarter, or if it's a close game, I mean, obviously you have to go with your playmaker. So that it made a lot of sense that they brought him in just to finish out the game. But I'm happy where we're at. I mean, five wins is great. Uh, you know, that's an improvement, obviously, four wins over last year. Uh, so I'm I'm pleased with where things are at. Um, we just have to go get that sixth game. It's, it's right there, you know. Yeah, for sure. And what is it that Baylor is doing – well maybe this season that you did not foresee them doing as well in what what are the areas where Baylor is exceeding your expectations beyond just the win total uh definitely on offense um I think you know last year and I think it was a lot of just the learning curve with you know having Jeff Nixon call in plays um it was just very inconsistent obviously with the quarterback situation last year, you bring in Brewer at the end and you kind of started to see what Nixon wanted to do with Brewer uh, at quarterback. Um, but you get into this year, the beginning, I did not like the quarterback thing. I I just didn't see any point in that, especially, you know, with the way Brewer played at the end of the year. Uh, I felt like, you know, he just kind of earned it. Um, I understand bringing in McClendon. Um, as a as a backup, uh, using him, you know, at the beginning, 
you know, to, to kind of spell Brewer, just to give him a break or something. But I just, I didn't like the back and forth. Um, but the way that he's been calling plays this year, I've, I've really enjoyed watching this offense evolve. Um, just the different kinds of things. I, I think they can be a little bit more creative, but overall I've been really impressed with where the offense has gone um, over last year and just kind of the, the kind of playmaker that Nixon has become. Um, you saw a lot of a lot of uh, good stuff last week against Oklahoma State. Um, just not necessarily trick plays, but they're getting people uh, into the open field, letting them make plays. So, yeah, I mean, I think the offense is the biggest thing that I've been impressed with this year. Well, and that actually kind of surprises me that you say that because you have, at least in the past, I think it's fair to say that you've been a pretty vocal critic of Nixon. And and to be fair, so have I and so have uh, have others at different times. Um, are you sold on him as a play caller now, or would you still have some question marks? Because I don't know. For me, I mean – as well as we might have played in some games, they're still yeah. Duke and they're still West Virginia, right? Yeah. And so, where, what are your feelings on him today? No, I'm not. I'm not completely on board yet. Um, I, I think I just feel like the offense. We do things really well, one or two series, and then we kind of get cute on the third series. Um, and then it's just like we go a couple series and we just look dead. Um, and I don't know, I don't know why that is. Um, maybe, you know, we you always hear about while well, players are supposed to make the plays, if the coaches put them in the right position. Like, and I right. and I agree with that to a point, but at the same time, I'm a big guy that's like, okay, if you're doing something well. And the offense can't stop, or the defense can't stop it. I mean, why do you change it? Obviously, you can do a little bit of things differently with your with the the play calls. I think overall, you kind of want to stick with what's working. And I feel like, you know, we go a couple series and we're doing really well. You know, maybe score a touchdown, but at least drive the field. And then we come back to the next series, and it's just kind of a dud. And it's just kind of like, what are we doing? Um, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. Um, I mean, he's obviously in my mind he's become a way better play caller than he was last year, but I'm still not completely sold. And, and I don't know that. I still think it's part of that learning curve. Um, but yeah, it's you know he's he's improved in my mind, but it's it's not you know 100 percent yet. I think you're right, and I think for me too, it, it comes down to the offensive line most of the time, man. I think. This staff really wants to run the ball, and when there's holes, we have backs that can do it, mm-hmm. and we've just had trouble getting some of that space, I think. That's the way I'd look at it anyway. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. I think not having um, daily on around – I guess he's around now, but um, just obviously the depth is an issue. Um, bringing in a lot of the kids that we brought in, uh, you know, nothing against them, but I guess they're more projects. Um, you got Connor Galvin playing more and more this year. Uh, Xavier Newman was is hurt still, so that's obviously been a problem. But uh, I think overall, it's just they need to continue to build the line, um, and it's just not where it needs to be right now. Um, but I think that'll, you know, they brought in a bunch of kids, and hopefully, a lot of them that were, you know, projects will pan out. 
But I think we have some good building blocks that we, you know, they just didn't hit with injuries. You know, Fear Morgan was hit with an injury early, so he didn't really play, and now he's, you know, kind of. I think they moved him to the right side. Was he playing on the right side last last week? Honestly, I was not paying that much attention to who was out there last week. No, that's fair. Um, but no, I think we've, you know, we've just been kind of hit with injuries, and then just trying to find a, a cohesive five. And I just don't, I don't feel like we've been able to do that yet. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I think our running game has been. It's been good at points, but yeah, it definitely needs to be better. Um, Whatever you do, don't blame my friend Sean Bell. <laughs> Just don't do that, man. He needs the, they need the depth. You were right about depth. <laughs> yeah. No, I I think he's done. I think I think he's done a fine job. Um, obviously, that's not. I don't think that's one of his fortes, and I I think that he would probably tell you that. But I think you know he's been he's done a serviceable job. I mean, the, the offensive line has improved over last year. Um, but, you know, it's not quite there. And But I don't think that's his fault. I mean, I'm not going to blame well, no, him for and, that. But. Well, and you and I would agree that, my opinion, my forecast, I think Glenn Thomas isn't long for Baylor. I think he's going back to the NFL at some point. And, and you would think that Sean would be the logical and – especially because I think he has done a good job his first two years on staff, he would be the choice to take over for quarterbacks at that point. Yeah, I agree. I agree with yeah. that. Um, yeah. I do want to see him – I mean, I don't really know how involved he is with, you know, the offensive system and stuff. I mean, obviously he's involved. But I want to I want to see him get involved more in, like, play calling and stuff because I think eventually that would be a good area for him. Oh, I think that's where he's going long term. I think when Coach Rule said, even I think it was even, shoot, it might have been the summer before his last season, before Rule's first season, he said, Sean Bell's going to coach in college a long time. I think he was leaning toward coordinator. You think about, and we're going down a rabbit hole here that we may not need to stick (laughs) on long, but if you ever watch China Springs teams even, and, and the offensive system that his dad ran at China Springs, and and then you know he played quarterback at a Division One level, so he knows how to read defenses and knows how to scheme against defenses. And his teams, when he was a head coach the past you know several years in high school, his teams were always innovative and explosive offensively. I think you're right. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he would. I think it would serve him well there. I think he'd be really good there for sure. Okay, so sitting at five wins, which you and I agree at this point probably exceeds both of our expectations. And now we go to Ames. And so I think the big question is, what do we need to see in Ames? You know, because I, I don't think we're going to see a victory. I think you would agree with me. Um, I'd love to see a victory, but like you said, Ames is just a freaky place. It's a scary place to go play an away game every time. Uh, and I don't think we have the team to do it yet. And I think they're going to come down a little bit after last week's win. So I guess what are we looking for names in your opinion? And what would have us feeling confident going into a very winnable game at home against TCU? You know, it's funny. Um, I saw the the spread was 14 and a half, and I actually thought that was high. Um, to me, if we can keep, the, keep this game within 10 points, um, maybe even closer. Um, to me, that's a win. Hmm. I mean, Iowa State's on a roll right now. Um, so, you know, they're they're on fire. I think at some point they're going to come back down to reality. 
I would love it for for I would love it for it to be against us, but like you, I don't I just don't see it. I don't, I don't think we're ready yet. For all the things that we talked about, Baylor not getting bounces. I think the best bounce we could get was a two thirty afternoon game in Ames, and not a Thursday night game or not an early you know eleven o'clock game or a late you know six or seven o'clock game. So I actually think that'll help us, um, but. Yeah, I mean, their defense is really good. I think, personally, I think they're going to be one of the better defenses that we've faced this year. Um, oh, well, statistically, they're the best in the conference. Yeah, I think I saw something like that. They're, yeah, they're number they're one. Ranked, they're ranked uh, one or two in every single defensive category in the conference. Yeah, and that makes sense. So, yeah, I, I don't expect us to be able to move the ball much against them. Um, if we can, you know, if we can run the ball – uh, which, you know, we haven't been able to consistently do that. I think we can figure out how to run the ball, um, you know, whether it's using Charlie or, you know, a couple of the running backs we have, and we can kind of slow down the game. I think we can keep it within reach. Rule has always said just get the game to the fourth quarter um, and give them a chance. And I think if we can do that, we might put some doubt in their minds. We might be able to pull one out, but, no, I just want them to keep it close. I don't want another game like West Virginia, and I don't think it will be like that because Iowa State doesn't have the offense like West Virginia. But it's one of those places, one of those games where it could get away from you if you let it. Um, but, no, I, I just want them to go up there, play well, uh, keep the game close, um, and just kind of build confidence for next week because I think that TCU game for me is the the one game – where I think we can get that sixth win. Uh, Texas Tech, even if Jet Duffy is their quarterback, they still scare me just because Cliff is a freaking genius on offense. Um, so that kind of scares me. But, no, I, I think we can – TCU is very winnable. And I think if we can go to Ames and play well, keep it close, you know, we'll come back. You know, they won't be happy if they lose, but – I think, you know, they can take something off that game in Ames, you know, keep it close, then they'll have something to build off of. And then they're coming home against TCU. I think they'll have some confidence, especially with the way that TCU has been playing. Um, and I think, you know, I think personally, I think we can, we should be able to dominate TCU better than we did Oklahoma State. Because I just don't think TCU is very good at all. Yeah, I completely agree with you, and yeah, I think I'm with you. I think a 10-point game would, would have me feeling pretty good. I don't know if you saw, I actually said before the season that Iowa State was my dark horse to win the conference. I picked Oklahoma to win the conference, but I said, don't be surprised if Iowa State d does it, and actually, they still have an outside shot to get into that championship game, especially since Texas lost to West Virginia, and so... Yeah, man, if we can hang with at their place within 10 points, I think I'll feel pretty good. Tell me your thoughts on this, or if you have thoughts. I think one of the big keys is going to be stopping David Montgomery, which should seem self-explanatory. But Hakeem Butler, he's going to get two or three big catches. Like That's just going to happen. I think the key is going to come down to stopping Montgomery. And on one hand, I thought we did a very, very good job containing Justice Hill last week. Yep. And those are probably your best two running backs in the conference, if we're being honest. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, I thought we did a good job containing Justice Hill, and I think he still had well over 100 yards. Yeah. So 
How confident are you? I know you said the defense has struggled this year, and they certainly have, but this defense has also made some really big stops in some crucial moments. The defense kept us in the Texas game, honestly kept us in the West Virginia game longer than we should have been in the game. Yep. Kept us in the Oklahoma State game at the end. I mean, there's a chance, man. What? How confident are you that this defense might be able just to keep us within striking distance? I, I feel confident in that. Um, I think they can keep us in striking distance. Um, man, David Montgomery's so good, though. Yes, he is. Oh man. So here's the deal: if they didn't have the, if they didn't have Hakeem Butler, and I think they have another wide receiver that's really good. I'm forgetting his name, but he's a former Temple guy. Their second receiver, Matt Rule, coach. Okay. Him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that is what worries me because when you have, because to me. On our offense, and I'm, I'm getting away a little bit, but I'll jump back on track here. For our offense, if we were able to run the ball with Lovett or Hasty or one of those guys, Mims and Hurd would be so much better than what they are right now. Hmm. So that's my thing with Iowa State. So you have two, you have two, well, one really good wide receiver, another guy that's pretty good, and then you have the best. Uh, running back in the Big 12. So there's a one-two punch there. And with our defense's propensity to give up big plays, that worries me because, you know, they're they're going to have a, at least two, maybe three different targets that they can go to. And Hakeem Butler is their big-time wide receiver. He makes the big plays, makes big catches. His whatever he did against Kansas last week was ridiculous. Like the <laughs> stiff arm, and then like kind of yes. like like circled around. I don't even know what he. I couldn't even think to do something like what he did last week. But you have a big play guy at the wide receiver position. You have a big play guy at the running back position. Um, and I just think it's too. I think it's too much for this defense right now. Um, so I'm not very confident if they didn't. I would be more confident if they didn't have a big time wide receiver on the outside. Because it's easier to kind of key on one person. Like we could have keyed on, we keyed on Justice, Justice Hill. They fed him the ball so much. I think that's why he ended up where he did. But there was no, there wasn't really anyone on the outside that really like scared you on, and the quarterback didn't scare you either against Oklahoma State. Um, but with Iowa State, it's just completely different. Uh, they have more playmakers, I think. And so that, Isn't that, that funny? kind of worries me. Isn't that interesting that we live in a world in 2018 where Iowa State has more explosive playmakers than Oklahoma State? Yeah, you would never think that. I have a feeling that won't last long. No, it won't. It, it really won't. Well, it depends. I mean, because like I said, I mean, Campbell, if he gets over that hurdle of, you know, the stigma with Iowa State is you're just not, not that great of a program and – you know they started slow, but they've kind of reeled off five wins. If they can get a, if they can even get close to challenging for the Big Twelve championship, they, that gives Campbell more, uh, more ammunition to recruit better. And he already recruits pretty good. Um, I, I mean, I think he can do some things there, man. I, for real, I, I really do. Um, unless someone does money with him, but I, I think he's happy at Iowa State. But, but yeah, I don't expect that to. That, that that won't last, it, or at least Oklahoma State and Iowa State will be 
somewhat level as far as playmakers are concerned. But that this is a down year for Oklahoma State, and their quarterback hasn't been, you know, as good. But, yeah, it, that's what worries me with Iowa State. When you hear Matt Rule say that he wants to build a program in Waco that looks very similar to what Matt Campbell is building at Iowa State, are you happy with that? Because I'm pretty happy. I, I don't think I would have been happy with that two years ago. But I think now that we're seeing what's happening at Baylor, I'm happy with that. How does that land with you? I like that better than him saying he wants to build a program like Kansas State. Like, Why is that? Kansas State is just – I mean, I love Bill Snyder. I think he's obviously is a Hall of Famer, like great coach, whatever. I just – the way that he – the way that they've built their program off of junior college kids, um, I, don't, I don't like that. I mean, because they – they're good, and then they fall off for a couple of years, and then they're good, and they fall off for a couple of years. I think Baylor is in a better position to not be like that. Um, I don't mind it with Iowa State because, like I said, I, I think Matt Campbell is going to be a star. Um, if he doesn't end up getting money whipped from someone else uh, to build a pro- – I mean, he's a program builder. And, I mean, what is this his, what year is this for him? His third year or fourth year? I think it's four, but I'm not I'm not completely confident. So, but the thing is, every year people are scared of Iowa State, and I mean that's a big time. I mean because that that's a culture change in the program. Right now, Baylor, you know, has all of the outside crap that is tied to the program still. Um, so you know, Rule is having to combat that, but I don't mind that at all. I think. But I also believe that with the resources that Baylor has, the money that Baylor has, you can look at Matt Campbell, his blueprint, and say, yeah, we want to be like that. But I think you can be at least two wins better than what his program is going to be. There's no reason that Baylor shouldn't be a 10-win program. With the money, the resources, where they're located, the recruiting, all that kind of said, there's no reason why we shouldn't have a coach that can't have a 10-win program year in and year out. You may have your random year where you win like eight games or something. Like even Bryles had that sandwich between, you know, 10-win seasons. But you got to the point where it was consistent that Baylor was going to win 10 games. I, th- I still think that we can do that. I think Matt Rule is showing that he's obviously building a program. If he gets the six wins this year, I don't care what anybody says. Like, he's the coach of the year in the Big 12 if he gets his program the six wins from where everything has been. But I also think that he can – well, I guess the jury's still out because it's only his second year. But I think Baylor can be a, a perennial 10-win program, and it should be. And that should be the expectation. But, no, I don't mind the comparisons to Matt Campbell at all. I mean, because I think Matt Campbell is going to be a star. Yeah, I completely agree with you on all of that. I think uh, certainly with Baylor's resources at its disposal, and I certainly, I think I agree with you that Rule is the guy to get us there. I think that's, I think that's reasonable uh, for sure. Last question, completely off subject and completely off the rails. You ready? Don't ask me anything political, man. Uh, no, 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 no. This no, is not I'm the kidding. podcast I'm for that. Kidding. No, I'm kidding. Uh, no. Uh, I'm kidding. How would you feel about Les Miles and Lawrence? Oh, jeez. Uh, I don't think it's going to happen, by the way. 
as good as I felt with him coming to Baylor, and I didn't like that either. I don't. I just don't think he's. Don't tell me he can't coach. He won a no, natty. No, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that. I just don't. Man, he lost to LSU because he got stubborn, and he. I just, no, I don't. I don't like it. I don't. I don't think he would good. I don't think he would be a good long term uh, choice for them. Um. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it would be good for them. Well, so I, mean, I, I actually he's definitely a good coach, but yeah, I actually have a theory. I don't think he's going to go to Lawrence because he's smarter than that. I, I don't think. I don't think he wants to coach at a basketball school. Yeah. Um. But I could actually. You mentioned Kansas State and Snyder. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to Kansas State when Snyder finally hangs it up. Because I think he could build a winner. I think he could win eight, nine, ten games a year at Kansas State. Yeah, I could see but, that. Well, and I who think knows? he could win. I think he could win at Kansas, but I just don't. The personality fit. I just, I just don't think that he would. I just don't think he would work there. The Big Twelve would be the conference of awesome press conferences. That's very true. You'd have you'd have Gundy, Les Miles, Tom Herman. I mean, just those three is 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 pretty stellar. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, and I was already a Gundy fan. Uh, oh, me too. When he got up there the other day, and when <laughs> what he said about Twitter. Oh God. Oh yeah. He like, just shot him up. Like oh the, yeah. Higher. Like it was hey, I was one of the, I think minority that really wanted us to push to get him here. And I knew that probably wouldn't happen because he's a obviously a former player and alum of Oklahoma State, but like. I love Mike Gundy, man. Yeah, no, he would have been awesome. And he could have recruited, like, I mean, he does well recruiting up there, but, I mean, imagining him here and recruiting to, to Waco, to Baylor, well, yeah, he, yeah. Yeah. All right, man, well, that's all I got for you. Any final thoughts or speculation as we get ready to watch this game on Saturday? Uh, I expect, um, I don't expect Iowa State to cover, and I, I think, Someone showed a stat. I don't remember what the stat is, but apparently Iowa State is very, very, very good against the spread. Like they always cover. Huh. And so it's probably because they're un- it's probably because they're underdogs that's a lot when too. when they shouldn't yeah, be. That's very true. Um, I, but I don't expect them to cover. I think th- I think this team is starting to. Well, I don't want to say that, but I. I they're improving every week. Aside from, like I said, I give them a pass on the West Virginia game. That was just bad. But I think every other game you've kind of seen bits and pieces of this thing kind of coming together. Um, and so, and last week against Oklahoma State, I think you really saw a lot more. I saw more out of that game last week than I have the previous 18 and 19 games. So it, it's given me a little bit more confidence that they're probably starting to turn that corner. Um, I think they just started to turn it, so they still have a ways to go. But I, I could see it last week, and I and I truly believe that this team is going to go bowling. And if they can go to a bowl game, gain that confidence, the the, the coaching staff already recruits well. I think if they get to a bowl game this year, it's going to make it that much better. Um, but I don't know. We'll see. I I would stay scares me.
This week, we get to the position that was the hardest to rank on these decade rankings. I mean, it's not even close. This position was the hardest to rank. I'm talking, of course, about pass catchers for Baylor this decade. And so I included tight ends in this pass catchers category, but I'm going to be straight with you. No tight ends come anywhere close to cracking the top five. So this is, for all intents and purposes, a wide receivers list. But I did consider tight ends. This is considering all of Baylor's pass catchers from this decade. There's five receivers here. I think you could make an argument for eight or nine of them to make the top five. For eight or nine receivers from this decade of Baylor football to make this top five, I have argued for these five I still struggle with it. I could still change my mind next week. There's going to be two or three guys left out that you're like, Scotty, you can't leave out this person. But this is how I rank Baylor's five receivers, wide receiver use, five best receivers of this decade, starting with number five, Denzel Mims. Yes, Denzel Mims is going to walk out of here as one of Baylor's five best receivers of this decade. He has been an absolute stud, obviously getting Big 12 first-team honors last season, making a big catch this past week to beat Oklahoma State. He is physical. He is incredibly fast. He, just from a pure talent standpoint, purely from like talent, might be the most talented receiver since Josh Gordon at Baylor. From a pure like potential ceiling upside perspective, I think this guy is the real deal. I think he's going to be a good NFL wide receiver. And I think before he's done at Baylor, he's going to set a few more records, make a few more All-Big 12 teams, and who knows, maybe even if he comes back for his senior season being All-American. I love Denzel Mims. He was not on this list originally, but this season, especially some of the big catches he's made has confirmed it for me. He's a top five receiver from this Baylor offense this decade. At number four, Antoine Goodley. And for a year, Antoine Goodley was the best receiver in the Big 12 in 2013. In 2014, he got eclipsed by another guy who's on this list. But I got to tell you, Antoine Goodley was something special. For his size... Only at 5'11 or 6 foot, really built like a running back. He was incredible. He was fast. He could go get the ball downfield. He made a ton of big catches for us to win us that first Big 12 title. Got nothing but good things to say about him. I know this is the guy that some of you are going to want to take off this list, but I just can't do it. There's some other guys that are better than him statistically, but I think when you take into account him as a leader for two years on that offense, he was Bryce Petty's favorite target. He was pivotal in those Big 12 championships. He was also a really, really good return man before he became Baylor's leading receiver. Really important as a return guy. And I think this season, Baylor fans are starting to realize the value of a good return guy on special teams. Goodley was great at that as well. I'm really surprised he wasn't able to crack the NFL. I think some injuries had something to do with that. A lot of love and respect for Antoine. He's number four. And number three... I've got Terrence Williams, T. Will. I really wanted to put him higher. There was part of me that really wanted to put him number one because T. Will was probably my favorite receiver of this decade. I love watching him play. Like Goodley, he was an electric return guy his freshman and sophomore years before he became a primary number one receiver for us. And here's the deal. 
As good as Corey Coleman's Blitnikoff season was, and it was something special, I think you could make the argument that Terrence Williams' season when he was the runner-up for the Blitnikoff in 2012 was just as good or better. He didn't have the touchdowns that Corey did, but I think he was more consistent throughout the year when you look at the game splits. And guys, he had 1,832 yards on top of 12 touchdowns. He had 1,832 yards his senior year. That's insanity. He almost had 2,000 yards receiving. Crazy. He had that huge monster game against West Virginia, as you remember, where he had over 300 yards just in that game. He was a Blitnikoff runner-up. And furthermore, he did have the most iconic catch, I think, of this decade to this point, which was that game-winning catch against Oklahoma to win, for all intents and purposes, to win RG3, the Heisman. It was not the most spectacular catch in terms of the difficulty or anything, but it was iconic. T. Will is number three. At number two, I've got the guy who is easily the most electric after-the-catch player, maybe in Baylor's history, with Kendall Wright. K-Dub is the OG of wide receiver U. There was nobody like him before, and there hasn't been anybody quite like him since. He was RG3's favorite go-to target. And the thing that makes K-Dub so high on this list, and the reason you have to give K-Dub a lot of props, is he did it for four years. I mean, you've got to realize that as a true freshman, when he had 649 yards receiving, I think that led the team. And then it only got better from there. He had 740 952 his junior year, and then 1,663 with 14 touchdowns, as well as 10 carries for 72 yards his senior season. So his senior season, he finished with 1,735 total yards from scrimmage and 14 touchdowns. Kendall Wright was electric. He was our, I mean, it was for the first three years of Bryles when we were still trying to get good. The offense was RG3 and Kendall Wright, and it was electric. It was fun to watch. The guy was special with the ball in his hands. He reversed the field more successfully than Lake Seastrunk on more times than I can think of. Absolutely a lights-out playmaker. First-round draft pick, obviously, for good reason. He's had a decent NFL career as a slot guy. Never a great NFL player, but he's been a consistently good NFL player. Nothing but good things to say about K-Dub. K-Dub is what started it. Kendall Wright is what kicked off wide receiver U and inspired, I think, a lot of the other good players to come to Baylor. And Kendall Wright is a big reason why RG3 was such a clutch quarterback. He made so many spectacular diving catches, leaping catches. I mean, the infamous catch against Oklahoma that went off of Tevin Reese's helmet. Kendall Wright is one of my favorite players I've ever watched play. Like, just so fun to watch play. He comes in at number two. And when you have a guy that wins the national award for best at the position. You got to put him number one. Corey Coleman had two seasons of over a thousand yards receiving. Nobody else on this list did that. I don't think except Mims might have a chance. He did have 20 touchdowns his senior season, which was part the big part, I think, of why he won the Blitnikoff along with 1,363 yards. So not as many yards as Kendall Wright or Terrence Williams had in their best seasons. But he also had his junior year, which was 1,119 yards and 11 touchdowns, which is a big part of why Antoine Goodley's stats dipped that year. Corey Coleman also, by the way, his senior season had 22 carries for 111 yards. That's about five yards a carry. So Corey Coleman was a great weapon. 
I also think Corey Coleman's numbers would have been significantly better, which is incredible to think about. Had Seth Russell stayed healthy that season as the starting quarterback, I know we're all sad about the way that happened. A lot of love and respect for Corey Coleman. Disappointed in what's kind of gone on in his pro career, but that has nothing to do with these rankings. He was dynamic, could make big catches, could really run after the catch, could run all the routes. Incredible football player, Blitnikoff Award winner, number one. And to me, I don't think you can really make another argument over this guy. Number one is Corey Coleman. Obviously, leaving Tevin Reese, Katie Cannon, even Jalen Hurd to some extent, off of this list was really, really hard. I even think of guys like Levi Norwood and Clay Fuller and Jay Lee. So many good receivers have come through this program this decade, and so leaving guys off this list was brutal. I have to say leaving KD and Tevin off was the most difficult, and I think you can definitely make an argument for getting them in this top five as well. Jalen Hurd, you could probably make an argument for also. But I see the five that I named as being the five best all-around receivers that we've had this decade. Would love to hear your thoughts on Twitter or Facebook. Hit me up with that. As always, you are free to disagree with this list and argue over it. I may put up some more polls for this list, just like I did with the quarterback list to determine who the best receiver of this decade has been. But yeah, I really appreciate you guys listening, and I hope you've enjoyed these lists. Next week will be our final week. We will do linemen next week, and I'm looking forward to that. That's all the time we've got for this week. I appreciate you listening as always. God bless you. I hope you enjoyed your homecoming. I certainly did. Let's go see if we can get a win in Ames, man. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I don't foresee it happening. For more on what I think that game is going to look like in Ames, tune in to Please Bear With Me, the show, Friday night at 8 p.m., and I will talk about it in way more depth and detail. Really appreciate you guys again. Sick'em Bears. Please Bear With Me is brought to you by Bears Illustrated over at Baylor 247. Thanks to my man Tim Watkins over there. Thanks to Iron Kids for all the music you heard on today's podcast. Go check them out, Iron Kids, on SoundCloud. I've been Scotty Swingler, and this is Please Bear With Me. Please Bear With Me.